Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is the average life expectancy this day for an average English master? I would say nowadays because... Readers over the last few generations have been paying close attention to it, not just me. Any good reader out there cares about longevity, and we've all been trying to increase that. So I would say, you know, 10 years ago, you would you would be at around 8 years old. Now, most of them live to be over 10. And I want people to think about labs. How many of them live to be over 12, 13 years old? And how is their quality of life for those last few years? Meaning... If you can get a giant breed dog, 10, 12, 13 years old, I think you're right in the ballpark of a lab or any other breed. And that's kind of where I'd like to see this end up, um, where you've got a dog, where a breed, where the longevity is, is on par with the rest of them. Um, their athletic ability can be on par with the rest of them, meaning, you know, if you're going to go to the beach, you don't want to say, well, you know, Gus might start limping. We better leave him home. You don't want that. You, you just don't. The truth is, if Gus is limping, take him out to the beach. And after three days of that, he won't be anymore. Trust me. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get them juices flowing and teach those joints in the body how to evolve and what to evolve for. I, off, I also believe that if uh, a puppy is raised in a kennel and they can grow up to eight ounces a day of bone and flesh, uh, some of the fastest growing muscle tissue on earth next to deer horn. Deer horn can grow two Deer antler can grow two inches a day. Um, I, Harrison grew eight ounces a day. Now, if you're stuck in a kennel laying down and your hips are being formed and it's growing at that rate and everything's soft and everything, and that whole day and that whole month and that whole six months you lay in a kennel because, you know, the owner doesn't want you to get hurt and all these things, how is that forming a nice, round, beautiful hip joint? To me, it would be more pancakey and you'd have more issues because the body doesn't even know you know, really what, what are, what am I building it for? What, what is it being made for? So, you know, allowing a pup to be self-limited, um, not, not being kenneled is important. They have to lay in these strange, weird positions to stretch out. And they know, you know, they almost lay in in positions where you're like, I got to move his head. He's going to break his neck. Nope. He knows why he's laying that way. Leave him alone, Mm -hmm. leave him alone. And having a natural substrate with all the dips and all the little things for them to kind of find that little groove is very, very important. Um, So if you're, you know, constantly on concrete and flat, how can they find that little sweet spot? They can't. Um, And again, yes, what you end up doing, and I recommend to everyone, um, always have, you know, uh, memory foam beds for your dogs. Uh, Over the course of their life, having a soft place to lay down is going to help them a great deal. So even if you do have them in a kennel, I'd make sure you got at least an 8-inch thick memory foam, um, hypoallergenic memory foam bed of some kind uh, at all times. They should always, you know, they look at what they do for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The least that they can get is a very soft, wonderful place to lay down. And if you don't have, you know, tons of acres on a beautiful summer night to let them stay out and find one of those beautiful dips, then you better have a memory foam mattress for those 
when they come in at night or whatever. However, you know, they do it. My dogs go in and out as they please because they learn how to knock. Uh, Ringo has taught them all. It's an annoying habit on the planet, and they will break a window. If they if they want to come in, you are going to let them in. If the temp gets too cold, they will come in. If he if it starts to sprinkle outside or something and they're off doing their thing, and again, I live all private, so, you know, they have limitless places to go, but yet they don't. They never leave the yard. They never leave the driveway. They don't chase, you know, they, they might follow along when a car goes by, but as soon as it goes back past the end of the driveway, they sit down like a gargoyle and walk back where they were. If you're not on the property, they do not give a shit. And that's a fact. So, and that's just a blessing because if you had dogs that, you know, ran all the way, you know, a mile down the road to the neighbor's house and they're 200 some towns, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have people calling. You're going to have scared people. Uh, so it's just cool that they naturally bred into them that they, they, they guard their their estate mm-hmm. period that's all they care about is you the property the house that's it and uh so it makes it so that you're able to let them kind of make their own choices to some degree such as stay outside and knock on the door when you can when you want to come in they'll tell me and when they knock on the window and i'm almost right to put plexiglass on the outside because so, my wife goes one of these days is gonna pop right through that i go okay so i went and i got plexiglass so my dogs can knock on the window to come in when they want <laughs> that's awesome but otherwise they're they're out doing whatever the hell they want to do for as long as they want to do it and when they but most of them most of the time they they all want to come in at night so nighttime rolls around i let them in sometimes i leave one out to watch for coyotes and all that stuff and now uh, the one that gets left out gets a terrible attitude like they're the total badass of the group and it's just fun to watch and film and be a part of uh ringo's gotten so smart that he'll want to lay on the memory foam and the other two will be on it so he'll get up and pretend there's something going on outside and do his do his bark that the alert bark thing by the door and it'll force uh harry and paul to get up off the bed and go to the door and what will ringo do turn around go lay down in his beautiful bed all to himself (laughs) because he because he fooled those other two and i cannot get over it he pulls stuff like that all the time and i just keep thinking man you know, you, you boys got a lot to learn before you outsmart that guy. Right. Yeah. And they do learn. They're learning it and they're not falling for it as much. But but uh, he'll just ad lib. Um, when Ringo wants what he wants, he'll get it. And he'll get it the most gentlemanly way he can. Um, and that's one of the, the parts of the temperament that I, I truly fell in love with, with Ringo. You know, they're not all the same. They're just like people. Within this breed, they're just like people temperamentally. There's very mellow ones, there's high-strung ones, there's skittish ones, there's brave ones, there's talkative ones, there's quiet ones. And, um, you know, I kind of know what, what, what I like to breed with and, uh, and what type of temperament I want. And all that goes into consideration because, you know, I don't want, I really don't want um, a pup owner calling me saying my dog's afraid of everything. Right. Because that will eventually lead to biting out of fear and things like that probably also. Um, I think a, a dog that has a natural, you know, fear response is more likely to lash out. And that's not his fault whatsoever. It's just how he is or how he was raised or the environment he was in or whatever attributes to all those things. Um, fortunately for me, you know, I'm involved with just about everybody in every facet. And, um, you know, Roman Gottfried is a holistic dog person that I've seen take aggressive dogs and ter- totally change them and in ways that I couldn't begin to to be able to understand or do you know i can keep my dogs getting along 
and things like that my way, but uh, it certainly isn't the same way that Roman does it. So again, if I ever do run into issues like that, I try to steer people in the right direction and in places that I have seen work that I believe in. And, um, you know, so, so it, it's, you, you really got to think about the people that are going to own your pups, the, your legacy and what you leave behind. And, and all of that has to kind of balance together and do the best you can. And I, I strongly believe that if, if, if you love something and you keep doing it and you do it so well, a Mark Twain quote, someone will pay you wages for it. You just have to keep at it and have people around you that help and believe in you and, and do whatever it takes to be able to, to do to do that. And my goal when I began this wasn't to get rich and retire and have the life of Riley and skip around. It was to be able to do this in replace of a normal everyday job and get paid over the course of the year to, to make up for not chilling coal. Right. So if I can average $19 a year at the end of the year by working with dogs, I would rather do that, but it doesn't make me rich by any means. It makes me rich in a different way. It makes me able to have a job where I'm with dogs in the woods, hanging with my kids. And um, we have a lot upcoming. I'm working with a local singer and songwriter who is phenomenal. I met him when I was uh, 15 years old. I'm going to do a post coming up about this. Um, I had written an article for a paper. I had my own little paper thing um, for Proctor, a small town thing. It was like Joe's Cast and Blast or something. Mm -hmm. And I wrote an article. And this man was so taken back that a 15-year-old wrote the article that he came and wrote an article about me. His name was Doug Olson, and he had a tape of songs that he wrote, a lot of them Minnesota-based um, some of them have been distributed around the world for uh, like um, disability commercials and uh, drunk driving commercials. Uh, so his songs are well known in the right facet. And he had this tape and I fell in love with it as a young man. And I remember trying to get a car and having to make sure that I had a tape player and not a CD player so I could keep playing that tape. Well, I recently found him again and I'm going to have him write music. For dog people, I want people to hear his music. He's got uh, stuff out there right now that... So I, I really am trying to get the Fur Beatles their own band, too. And that takes a lot of time. We've been working very hard on trying to write music and get uh, footage together um, and stuff like that to be able to, to give to people and, and help inspire and motivate. You know, and I, I hope that... My hopes is that maybe... You know, if, if Ringo ever passes away, maybe this fellow will write a song for him or something like that. Right. Because I do feel that Ringo, of all dogs, deserves it because he has worked so hard for his breed without asking for anything in return, simply just by being who he is and trying as hard as he does. Um, and he's broke the mold in a lot of ways. There are a lot of bigger Mastiffs than him. Um, his weight, by no means, is the largest in the world. But he certainly is the most balanced, in my opinion. And to me, that is, that's the goal, to find something that leaves you breathless and shock at his size, but also with his physique, and also be able to do something with that size and physique, not just be something to look at that really is just big. That's not, that's not a breed with a purpose or a function, so to speak. It's more of a, a gargoyle. And... If you want something like that, you know, get a giant stuffed animal. All right. it, yeah, or, you know, buy a grizzly mount or something like that that you don't have to worry about. So, 
that's just that's just kind of you know my take on it and i believe that that any anybody could do what i do and be successful provided they believe in what they're saying um honesty also is something that is extremely hard to find uh being very very honest and blunt and truthful at whatever cost uh is something that that i i try to stand by so you know maintaining honesty and integrity is really important if you're shady and trying to sell something and trying to um it is extremely difficult you know doing puppies with no rights um everybody feels like that means that it's not their dog and that nothing could be further from the truth what that means is is you have me for backup the breeder um for any problem for the rest of your life and it just means that you know if you had intentions of breeding you would have to do the health testing champion the dog and go through the right things um in order to do that and if that's not something you're going to do you know doing it backyard breeding in the garage with the neighbor's rottweiler isn't something i'm going to tolerate and that's why you know that's you know if you have something worth having there should be some kind of you know standard meaning if you want one of my pups you got to be a good person you got to be interested in having a companion not jumping on my name or somebody else's or making a quick buck or paying for the dog uh by doing a breeding that is not that is not a breeding that is not a breeder that is not helping the breed it's a one time shot thing that where the person's trying to make some money and that's how the breed gets damaged you know and i discount for that reason meaning you know i make sure that it's you know i understand that these aren't with breeding rights and my main concern with me and the people that work with me is that these puppies have exemplary homes with people that primarily are interested in a companion of excellent breeding and health not any other sinister motive underneath um the people that are interested in breeding they're going to come to me and they're going to do what i ask them to do in order to to achieve that and it's not that difficult and it's not that much to ask to render my name and say yes i you can breed if i'm going to say that you're going to show me that you put in your part and you tested these dogs and you got them champion and you did all the things you need to do in order to breed these dogs and then i would consider that so that's like the main way uh anybody's ever going to be able to to do that is is going to be doing the right thing or not at all and it does cost me if i sold with rights it would be never ending never ending never ending never run out of people wanting puppies as long as i breed if i did it that way and so it does hurt um me and my clients by doing it that way but the clients i have have integrity and so do i and we understand that it might be harder but in the long run you're ensuring the health of your line you're ensuring all these things that matter and you're making sure that these people that do have these great ideas of becoming breeders understand that there are things you need to do to get to that level and that is invest in that dog prove it test them and and we can definitely go from there there's nobody in the world that if they championed a dog and put 10 grand into them had all the health testing done that i would say no you don't deserve to breed there's no way i would ever say that to somebody because they did they tested they did the OFA they showed them they invested in them put their time and effort and love and care and then you've shown me that absolutely you're the type of person i want um involved with me so so that's why that you know initially you know anybody that uses me you you cannot sell those pups to the highest bidder with full rights it's against contract and I'll never allow it that way that you know the person would have to come to me and tell me their intentions and um and show me what they they're willing to do 
And I can tell you, if they do invest that time and effort, it's well worth the journey. It's well worth the journey. So absolutely. I, everything that I do is done through a reproduction specialist. Um, so, so even, even the collecting, the freezing, um, I don't, again, I don't deal with females. Um, so progesterone testing, you know, it, it's important on the female end that they, they maintain that. Usually they like to see three, three levels. So they know how she's rising so we can predict what days that she'll be optimum and perfect, um, for, for insemination and stuff like that. But so there, yes, you definitely have to have a professional involved, uh, somebody that knows what they're doing, um, and everything documented and, and all of that kind of stuff to make it legit. You know, there's a lot of people that do natural. Well, well, you're taking the word that, that those two dogs did that. You don't have a vet saying, and you know, generally with me, people definitely want proof of who it's from and all of that. So, so it's all done through a specialist and, um, you know, I can ship anywhere, uh, overseas or anywhere in the U S uh, provided people are on top of it, doing the progesterone testing and all that. And of course, like I said, it's all done through a pet professionally. Um, so, and, and I believe that's important too. You know, I think a lot of people would be turned off if I, you know, sent them uh, a baggie of uh, semen in the mail. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, and there are people that have done and do that. There are studs that do that. And I know firsthand people that have received semen, they paid a lot of money for it. And whoever did it, did it in the garage and put it in a baggie and send it to them. That's not how you do it. Uh, when when you do a, a freezing or a collection from us, it's guaranteed 100 million live motile sperm after thaw, which means the vet has to freeze it that day. You still don't know if it's going to freeze thaw good. You have to pay for the freezing, which is expensive. And then you find out at the end of the day how it freezes, how well it froze and thaw, and then they rate it, and you're guaranteed 100 million after thaw. So no matter how many vials it takes or whatever, and then of course that reaches you in a nine pound cryo tank. Um, and it lasts nine days. Uh, it'll stay frozen in there nine days. And then uh, they use extenders, uh, semen. They use special ex- extenders for the for it. Um, uh, the best in the business my vet uses, which also helps uh, in successful pregnancies because it allows it extends the life of the semen. Period. Um, so it's not something that you'd want to try to do in an amateur fashion. You know, there's a lot of science behind it, a lot of testing behind it. And when there is a litter that hits the ground and they're healthy and safe, it is a monumental big deal because when you think of how many steps of the procedure and how many people were involved and how much money and how much effort and time, it is a huge, huge deal when there's a successful litter that hits the ground and there's no guarantees. Nature is nature. Nature is nature. No matter how good everything is done things happen litters get absorbed you know two weeks pro- you know a lot of things um so again you know being involved with good people really helps you succeed too because when you work with other people you know if you're having a hard time they're going to help you uh, let's say somebody had an issue and and had a didn't have a litter you know i could do a stud fee for them and not charge them until later on we can work within each other and help get things done with the best interests of the puppies um at heart rather than, you know, spend for an upfront stud fee or something like that. So the people that work with me are very good people or they wouldn't be working with me at all. Well, not all, I don't necessarily every breeding require or want a pup from that. Actually, that's a lot. Every, every breeding I've ever done, I've been terribly jealous 
and wanted all of the puppies from the litters. All right. of them. So if I had it my way, I'd have thousands of dogs and they would all be mine. And <laughs> yeah. But but the truth is, the truth is, you know, I can only really keep so many to keep the quality of what I do up. Meaning the more dogs I have, the less each one gets as far as personal time. And that's just a fact. That's just the way it is. Um, so four is my max uh, that I want at one time. I might end up doing five, but I don't know. Um, before is ideally how, how many I would want at one time. And so I don't always want a pup. Uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll discount the stud fee a little bit um, for interest in the pups and help advertise and, and home them um, rather than a, a large stud fee. Because uh, that just helps financially everybody get through it that way. You're not slapping down a giant stud fee even though that's sort of what it is. So the pe- so I either do it that way or I'll work. If I do want a pup, I'm going to be doing a breeding in France, I believe, where I do want a pup from that. And then I would, do, would figure what I want and what, you know, and then probably do a breeding for a pup or a pup plus a little bit of cash or something like that. Um, and, it, and it really largely depends on the lines. You know, there's certain ones that I want and certain ones that I'm not interested in. But that doesn't mean that that I would not breed with the person. It means that I just wouldn't keep, didn't want a pup from that breeding, ideally, because I only can keep four. Mm-hmm. Um, truth is, I would want, like I said, one from everyone, because I do. It's just the way it is. I think that's why a lot of breeders end up with a lot of dogs, is because they just, they love what they do and, and stuff like that. So so normally, you, you know, you go through the... the Required testing, the genetic testing, the OFA, hips and elbows minimum. Uh, I prefer more thyroid and eyes and stuff. But uh, the, as long as we get the major ones, that minimum is, is hips and elbows and then all genetic testing to know they're not a carrier for, for anything. And then I, you know, look at the pedigree. I talk to my peers that have always been there to help me. Uh, some people use the hypo mating program. Lalo BG helps me kind of match up uh, pedigrees and and what's going to be a more complimentary breeding and stuff. And, and so using the resources I have, I try to make the decisions that way. And, and so it's always up to uh, timing and so on, whether I'm interested in keeping a pup or not. Um, most of the time, uh, my big goal is that you've got a healthy female with a, a decent pedigree um, and pass those tests and, and sticks to the standard. And then we do the breeding uh, for pets, for, for people that want a great companion and so on. And if I, if I work well with that person and the litter turns out well, uh, they definitely would, would, I would consider doing a repeat breeding and kind of going from there. So, you know, keeping a pup is, is really rare. Um, and they're monumental points in your career because this dog, you know, hopefully is going to be around for a long time. Uh, and again, I won't, I won't consider mine studs till three years old. Um, they just, I feel they have a lot to prove. You know, a lot of people start studying them at a year old. A lot can happen between a year and two years that you don't foresee during development and so on and so forth. So for me to ensure that I've given them as much time to finish and be what they're going to be so that I can assess them, uh, you know, and then that's the final decision on who's going to end up studying or not. But um, so I hope that kind of answered the question. Uh, I try to do the best I can, but, but definitely that's, that's usually the procedure. Somebody comes with me, they have a beautiful girl, a nice pedigree. And I tell them, here's what I require. 
and depending on the girl and the pedigree, it kind of depends on whether I keep a pup or not. And timing has more to do with it than anything because I strongly believe I could take any lines, do what I do with them, and prove them just the same as I do mine. I don't believe I'm special. I believe throughout my breedings, every breeding that I do will be enhanced so that in the future, I might have a, a superior um, sub, sub, whatever you want to call it. Like, But for now, it's it's really just kind of doing it right and kind of seeing how things are playing out and um, and making my decisions, you know, from there. So... So that's kind of how it goes. Uh, I absolutely love Celine Hennepo. She's from France. Celine Hennepo has uh, an excellent overseas program in France. Um, Very health testing oriented. That's one of the things overseas. They're quite a bit behind on the health testing throughout the years as America was. Uh, However, they have some of the most uh, stocky, beefy bloodlines and very true to the old English style um, there. So getting one overseas as one of my studs from overseas is very important to me. Um, and it has been from the beginning. It's just, you know, you need to, everything has to be right. Um, you know, I'm not going to send sub-quality semen overseas for sure. It's going to be the best I can produce um, because it costs them $2,000 just to get the semen there. That's not even my stud fee or anything. That's just to get it shipped in that big cryo tank. So, um, so that is... Uh, She's probably my favorite of the overseas people. However, most of of the overseas breeders have some phenomenal dogs and great lines. Um, So importing uh, a little bit is is important. You're going to, and again, you're taking genes from opposite ends of the world, uh, increasing the genetic diversity and the health of the dog in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, of the pups. So it it helps that way too. Um, Getting genes from across the world is extremely helpful in your breeding program. So, so that's that's important. Um, so that that would be who I really enjoy overseas. You know, Lalo BG, he's from Mexico. He has some phenomenal dogs, phenomenal lines, does phenomenal breedings, and is very good at what he does. Um, and we've talked many times about about doing something. And um, so he's another guy. I, it's not necessarily overseas, but different country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Canadian gal that I really enjoy up in Canada um, that I bred Harrison with. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, there's some good ones, you know, all over. Um, you know, I, I don't know their actual name for their kennel. I know them by who they are. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I can't off the top of my head remember, you know, the exact kennel names or whatever. So, Can you um talk about some of your mentors during your journey with uh your your um... yes mm-hmm. uh, in fact i would love to and you know because giving these people credit for all they've done is important to me um deb jones is kind of my my main mentor and she was thunder on mastiffs and as it, you know made sure that i did the right things right from the get-go um she also had a lot of work to do with making me be nice and presentable to public. <laughs> she goes, you're too much of a hermit. You can't talk to people like that. You know, so she's had a lot of work to, to help with how I, <laughs> how I don't get mad about stuff and, and help me morally that way a great deal. Um, Steve Oifer, who is a curator for the only Mastiff Museum, has been priceless. Uh, there isn't a single human being, I believe he's in his 70s, um, that has dedicated more time and study than he has to the Mastiff breed. And he would put me in my place 
immediately, no matter anything I did wrong. In fact, it's almost miraculous to get any sort of uh, praise from him. And he has given me very little through the years, but any from him is is almost unheard of. So he, I do believe, enjoys me. I believe we're, we're, we're very close in a certain level. And um, to me, that's huge. Um, you know, Alicia Pledger has been a breeder that behind the scenes has helped me in ways that I could never, ever even begin to thank her for. Um, from research to study to semen quality to financial issues to everything you can think of, that gal has had my back from day one before everything, before anybody even knew who I was, you know, loved what I was doing and stuff like that. So she was, she has been very huge. Um, you know, and then recently, uh, I've had a couple of very, very good, honest people, um, that are going to be working with me that I did some litters with, and that's Candy Colbeck and Cassie Mayfield. Both of them have been very good, very good, uh, to help me kind of achieve the things I want to achieve and standing behind, um, the no full right sales if you knew how many times those people have came to me and said i got offered this i got offered and they were nothing but honest and did everything i asked them to do and that's hard if someone's offering you 10k to go behind my back it takes a special person to say no mm-hmm. so and i repay that um to the best of my ability so the, the those those two last names mentioned i'm actually mentoring them um but but I've learned from the people that I forementioned. And, you know, there's many. There's uh, Holly Moody, who is a genetic wizard. She has been, uh, in the past, helped me make decisions that unbelievable. Uh, Lalo Beachy, again, many, many late-night conversations and uh, uh, about dogs and pedigrees and hypomating and, and planning things. And so he's been huge. Um, uh, Rory, Rory Ward is another gal. She did my pedigrees for my guys uh, extended huge pedigrees with way more information than needed and absolutely beautifully done she did harrison's and ringo's and to to date they're probably my two most favorite documents that i have and it took her just tons and tons of time and uh her her breeding um requirements are as strict as it gets uh again very hard to get any approval out of rory ward but but again that's the type of people I like and I respond to straightforward telling it like it is. And this is kind of what, you know, and it's helped a great deal. Um, there are so many, so many, uh, Karen Cornelius, uh, runs some health groups. Uh, there's just so many people. And if I forgot any, um, but basically in general, most of the Mastiff community, uh, did nothing but swoop in and help. And, and they're very, very kind, kind group of people that really do love dogs in a way that, that I believe is unique to, to Mastiff owners and so on. Um, you'll get some of them that are really stuck in their ways, but you need to respect that and, and say, hey, you know, you've been breeding 40 years. There's no way I have that knowledge that you do. Um, Joseph, Joseph, ooh, so I must, so I must be. Mary, Mary, Joseph, Joseph, Allah. Allah.